in our morning series, we're working together through the book of Exodus, and we're going to be continuing that this morning. And Scott McNary is going to bring us our Bible reading for today. So the reading is from Exodus uh, chapter 8. That can be found on page 64 of the Pew Bibles. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things, but by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to, Ar- to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to, to pray f- for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not let listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats, but when, when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. 
And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout, the, throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your, to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are, that are detestable in, in their eyes, they will not stone us. We must, make, we must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh says, I will let you go to, to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave, leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and, and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not deceitfully again by not letting the people go to, the, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did, not, did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people, not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. As we come to our prayers of intercession this morning, we want to think about the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew and especially for the country of Haiti. And then in the light of a documentary on television this week um, by Sally Phillips, on the new test for Down syndrome, we want to be praying into that situation. And then we want to be thinking about needs within our own church family. So let's join together now in our prayers of intercession and let's pray. Father God, as we come before you in prayer, we do want to remember today those dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew. And we pray especially for the country of Haiti today. And for those who are grieving after the loss of more than 900 lives. Father, may your presence be close to those who are grieving. Close to those who have lost loved ones. May you draw near to those who have lost everything in this world. We commit to you governments and organizations as they attempt to respond to the events of this past week. In the midst of hopelessness and uncertainty... May your presence be known, we pray. May you walk with those in the midst of such difficult times. Watch over those in danger. And may your love and compassion be known to those who suffer and mourn. Father, remind each one of us what you have promised. That never will you leave your people. So no matter what has to be faced, your love will be felt. In the light of the documentary on television this week, reminding us of the way some people in the health profession now view Down syndrome, we thank you that Psalm 139 reminds us that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, you made us just the way you wanted and you love us just the way we are. We're thankful that you see meaning and purpose in disability. You have a good purpose in things, in things which in themselves are not good. And we pray for our National Health Service. 
for a change in attitude and response by those who are making these new decisions. We thank you for Sally Phillips and her documentary and pray it will lead to people understanding more about Down syndrome and knowing that regardless of our physical or mental status, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made by you, our God who loves us deeply. And Father, you loved us so deeply that you sent Christ to die for us. And that is the greatest need of everyone in this world. It's to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we pray and give you thanks for opportunities to share the gospel and point people to you. We remember the work happening in Walkway this morning, for what's happening upstairs in Kidzone, for the work that happens during the week in our uniformed organizations and the various clubs and groups that meet in these halls week by week for those from our congregation working full-time across this world, across this land, and across this city to point people to you, and for the responsibility as each one of us to make disciples and point people to the truth of the gospel. Father, may you be at work and use all these things and all these people to see your kingdom grow, we pray. And as we think about our church family, We remember those in hospital today. We remember those who are ill at home. And we pray for an awareness of your presence. We pray for strength each day. For those awaiting results, those anxious about the future, may they be aware that you're with them, caring, leading, loving, supporting, and strengthening. Father, we're thankful that as your children we can come to you knowing you're aware of the joy and the laughter, but also the tears and the sadness. And in all we face in our lives, may it drive us closer to you. Father, for each of us here today, no matter what we may be going through, may we find comfort in your compassion, fellowship with you knowing that you feel our hurt, confidence in your plan and purposes for what lies ahead. May we be thankful for the tastes and glimpses we have now of the future that is to come. And may we set our sights on that eternal future so that difficult days may still be infused with joy. And may we take hold of your all-sufficient grace and find rest for the soul. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'd like to take a pew Bible and turn to page uh, 64, please, you'll find Exodus chapter 7 and 8 uh, this morning. So let me pray for you as you're doing that, and let's pray for each other. Father God, we thank you this morning for being together. Father, we thank you for Jeff's call to Rasharkin, and we pray that you'll just be with him in these days ahead. And Father, we thank you this morning that we've been able to sing. We bow down and confess that you are Lord in this place. Father, help us to understand who you are this morning from this passage, and that it will help us in bowing down and worshiping you for all that you are. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been building for some time now, hasn't it? We already know what is about to happen. We've had many trailers in the book of Exodus in the past six or seven chapters telling us what the Lord is going to do and what is about to happen. 
And now this morning in chapters 7 and 8 that are open in front of you, we are about to see the beginning of God's mighty hand as he refers to it himself, true plagues coming down and compelling Pharaoh to let his people go. In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron had already approached Pharaoh. Do you remember that? And it had caused two things to happen. The Egyptians worked the Israelites even harder and harder because of that first approach, demanding them to make bricks without straw that they had to gather for themselves. And then the people complained. The people of God complained to Moses because he'd done this. And they said this in chapter 5. If you want to turn back, go for it. Chapter 5, verse 21. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So it didn't look like it had gone well for Moses and Aaron as they had approached Pharaoh the first time. The Egyptians worked them harder. Their own people were complaining of what they had done. And so we come to chapter 7, and the Lord speaks again to Moses. Do you see it in verses 1 and 2? And what he says to them, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites to get out of his country. And so the narrative progresses. You see Moses and Aaron becoming instruments of delivering God's message to Pharaoh, and Moses becomes like God to Pharaoh in these chapters 7 and 8. And the signs and plagues that we're about to see unleashed on the Egyptians are done for two reasons. One is for judgment. God says that in his own words in verse 4. Do you see it of chapter 7? I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people Israel. The plagues are judgment acts on the Pharaoh, but they will also be there to liberate God's people. Secondly, they're there to reveal the Lord. These plagues are, as verse 5 states, are to reveal who the Lord is. Do you remember Pharaoh's initial response when Moses first came to him in chapter 5, verse 2? He said this, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. As these plagues are about to begin and increase, the Pharaoh will be left in no doubt as to who the Lord is. And I want this morning to work through the first sign and the four plagues briefly, and then draw some overriding principles and application for us. So just follow with me uh, in verses 8 to 13, because the first sign, we had it in the previous chapters, is the staff turning into the snake in chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. Moses, back in chapter 4, had been given this sign to perform both for the people of God and to convince Pharaoh of who God was. And in verse 9, we see Pharaoh will ask for a miracle. And this is what Moses was to do. He was to throw down his staff before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. And this happens. But verse 12 says, the magicians of Egypt did exactly the same. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. One nil, or round one to God and and his servants. Do you see the second one, the second plague or the first plague proper is the river of blood in verses 14 to 28 in chapter 7, the river of blood. And as we go through each of these plagues, there is a recurring literary style and repetition to them. Did you pick that up in the reading? And it's very obvious from this very first plague of the blood. Follow with me. Verse 15, the Lord tells Moses and Aaron 
to go to Pharaoh. Verse 16, the Lord tells Moses and Aaron what to say and what is about to happen. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. Let, me go, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. But this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. This is the repeat pattern. God tells Moses and Aaron to go. He tells Moses and Aaron what to say and what is about to happen. And in verse 19, the Lord commands them to act by stretching out the staff. And you have a plague coming on Egypt. And in this one, it is the great river, the Nile, turning into blood. And as the end of verse 21 says, the Egyptians couldn't drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Imagine what that would have been like. Streams, reservoirs, water holding vessels, all covered in blood. If you're a doctor, you'll know what that's like. And, and the repel of it. And yet we see that the Egyptians got round this. They dug clean water troughs. And this lasted for seven days. But then the next plague happens. Do you see it in chapter 8, verses 1 to 15? The frogs. And again, God tells Moses and Aaron to go. He tells them what's going to happen and what is about to happen. And the Lord commands Moses and Aaron to act by stretching out his staff. And verse 6 says... And the frogs came up out of the Nile and covered the land. But again, the Egyptian magicians could do the same. They could bring frogs up out of the Nile too. This second plague seems to stir a response from Pharaoh. And we're told in verse 8 that he summoned Moses and Aaron saying, Pray to the, to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. I suppose the big question is, do you like frogs or not, isn't it? I remember as a kid having a, a pool that had tadpoles and all that, and then when they turned into frogs, I actually hate them. They're, they're, oh, they're, but imagine the whole place being taken over by them. And here he calls out, get rid of these frogs. And Moses says to Pharaoh, verse 10, when do you want them gone? When do you want them gone? I'll give you the honor of setting the time for when they're gone. And of course he says, tomorrow get rid of them straight away. And Moses prays to the Lord to take them away by tomorrow. And the Lord did what Moses asked. And we're told at the end of verse 13 into 14, the frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields, and they were piled up in heaps, and the land was stink, literally. It reeked of them. Have you ever had a dead mouse or a dead rat in your house? It stink, isn't it? And it must have been something like that that went up their nostrils and then there's heaps of frogs everywhere. But then we see verses 19, or 16 to 19, the plague of gnats. Now these were either lice or mosquitoes of some sort, but there's a slightly different approach with this plague. The first thing to observe is the difference in this, is that they're, they're commanded to go, not to go to Pharaoh in this one. No warning given to the Egyptians. Instead, we read in verse 16, the Lord commands Moses to tell Aaron to stretch out the staff and strike the dust of the ground, and the dust becomes gnats. The gnats were on people and animals everywhere. Have you ever been on a foreign holiday or somewhere like that, or even in a good Irish picnic, and you get all those flies that constantly swarm around you? 
and the sense of you're always going like this, picking it off. And that's the sense that are here. They were everywhere, on people, on the animals, everything, irritant by these gnats. The second difference here is that, do you see it in verse 19? The magicians couldn't replicate this. And guess what they say to Pharaoh in verse 19? This is the finger of God. The magicians are beginning to see something's going on here. And they say, this is the finger of God. We'll come back to uh, verse, sorry, verse 15 for a minute, because the hardening of heart we'll look at. But I wonder, did the Lord not give them a warning this time because of Pharaoh's hardening of heart and just acted? And he sent in the gnats and they covered the land and, and the magicians go, we can't do this. This is a finger of God, Pharaoh. Then to the fourth plague, the flies, verse 20 to 32. Again, there's a reverting back to the original pattern and style in that God commands Moses to go and confront Pharaoh. God tells Moses what to say and what is to come, verse 19 and 20. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of Egypt will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. And these swarms of flies come and they pour into Pharaoh's palace and into the house of his officials and the land. And it says there that the land was ruined by these flies. But there's another twist or development in the story or in the narrative. Verse 22, a distinction is made between God's people and Pharaoh's people. The people of God living in Goshen, no swarms of flies were there so that Pharaoh will know that the Lord is in the land. I suppose yesterday is an example of this. We were going to the wedding here in Belfast. It was pouring in Bangor. And in Belfast, nothing was happening. It was lovely. And this is what seems to have happened here. God, in his creative power and might, makes the flies fly into the land of the, of the Egyptians, but where his own people were, he kept a distinction. And this plague, again, seems to stir something in Pharaoh. Look at verse 25. He says to Moses and Aaron, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. This sounds like a good deal to me, if you're an enslaved people. But Moses raises two objections to Pharaoh's offer. The first is verse 26. The Egyptians would find the sacrifices of the Israelites detestable and stone them. They cut animals. They sacrificed him. It would have been a, a, a despicable to the Egyptians, and they would have ended up stoning him. And, and Moses knows this. We can't offer sacrifices in this land. Secondly, and most importantly, in verse 27, do you see it there? The Lord commanded them to take a three-day three journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. The wilderness and not the land of Egypt was to be the place that the Lord commanded them for their sacrifices. And so Pharaoh concedes again in verse 28. He says, go, and asks Moses to pray to take these flies away. And look at Moses' words in verse 29 to Pharaoh. He tells the Pharaoh, I'll pray, and that the flies will be gone by tomorrow. But Moses warns Pharaoh, only let Pharaoh be sure he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people to offer their sacrifices to the Lord. God Moses is becoming like a god to Pharaoh. God hears Moses' prayers, and the flies leave the Pharaoh and the people again, 
But again, Pharaoh changes his mind and will not let the people go. Chapters 7 and 8 highlight four plagues. And there are six more to come in two weeks' time in chapters 9 to 11 that we'll look at. And I just want to draw out some application or principles from this. The first thing to say is that the plagues increase in intensity. You see them going from the inconvenience of having water turned into blood to flies, to gnats, to frogs taking over the land and the country not being able to deal with them. So there's an intensity building in the plagues. The question you're asking, though, is this, isn't it? Why did God choose these specific plagues of, 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 of blood or the serpent, firstly, blood, water, frogs, gnats, and flies? Why did he choose those? You see, in Egyptian culture and belief, there were gods for everything. They were polytheistic in, in belief, worshipping many gods and deities, and as we've seen, a new God on the scene to Pharaoh was, show me what you can do, perform something so that you have credibility. Who is this Lord? And here we see in this Egyptian culture and in the worship of their deities, what is happening is that these plagues are defeating one by one the gods of Egypt. Let me explain a little bit. The staff into the snake. They had a God called Uraeus, I think is how you pronounce it, or a snake God. Whose, whose snake was on the Egyptian pharaoh's head. Do you see the picture here where you see the snake? It was a symbol of royalty, sovereignty, and authority in Egypt. And so what do we see in the narrative? Snakes competing with one another. God's snake against Pharaoh and Egypt's snakes. Who wins? God does. Taking down the god of your race in the Egyptian culture. The Nile into blood. There was a god there as well called Hapai, who was the patron of the upper and lower Egypt river. He was one of the most popular and powerful deities of ancient Egypt. He had other gods under, sub-gods. These gods would have been worshipped, appeased, given sacrifices to. The Nile was the great Nile that gave life and fertility. And the Lord comes and he turns the Nile into blood. You can understand the powerful statement that that would have had on the people in Pharaoh. We worship Hapai, but look what's after happening. What about the frogs? For the Egyptians, the frog was a symbol of fertility. There was an ancient god called Heket, the Egyptian frog goddess. She was depicted as a woman here on the right-hand side of the picture with a head of a frog. It is known that this god had a temple dedicated to her cult worship in ancient Near East. But what do we see happening here? God using the frogs killing them. And what is it? The smell. The smell of frogs. If you worship this God and you see this pile of frogs dead, smelling, what's that say about your worship of this God? It says there's a greater God, doesn't it? And also in that, the stink. Do you remember what the people of God said to Moses about them? Moses, you've made us a stink to Pharaoh. And now he's turned the tables and the frogs stink to the land of the Egyptians. It's subtle. The land of Egypt stinked of dead God symbols, while the people of God thought they smelled bad to fear, but now they don't. The gnats then, another God was there, and that God was Geb, G-E-B, who was connected with the ground. The flies had another God as well, this God called Kefer, 
And this God's name is transferred into becoming or change or occur, happens to bring into create. This God was often depicted with human body, but an insect head or fly on it. The plagues on Egypt were not random acts by the Lord. They were, in fact, knockout blows to each of the gods of the Egyptians in the land and to Pharaoh himself. The plagues were a statement by the Lord declaring his mighty name, his power and sovereignty. The plagues revealed that the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, was the only God to be listened to, worshipped and obeyed. And today, we don't have gods like this, do we? In the West, anyway, where we have statues or creatures depicted. But we still have the gods, don't we? We still have our gods of pleasure and hedonism, secularism, consumerism, autonomy, which sets itself up against God and his purposes. But we need to learn from the Exodus narrative. We've got to get this into our head and take heed that there is only one God to know one God to follow, one God to obey, and he is the great I am, whose purposes are never thwarted, whose words are always fulfilled to bring glory and honor to his own name. We need to ask ourselves, what am I following today? Who's my God? What is my God? The plagues were more than a knockout punch on the gods of Egypt. They were, in fact, also God's judgment on the gods, the Pharaoh and the land. We will later see in Exodus these following two verses, which tell us this about the judgment of God on the gods of Egypt. He says this, on the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and women, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Later on in Numbers, it summarizes it like this, the Israelites marched out boldly in view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. These plagues were the judgment of God coming down on Pharaoh and his people. And you know something? There's something in us that says this. A bit harsh. It's all a bit inhumane, isn't it? Why would God keep doing this? But folks, the reality is that God is holy. He is sovereign, loving and good. And from his judgment, he exercises that from that perfect nature. These passages and plagues are a warning to us to not fall into the hands of God's judgment because he will exercise his judgment justly, lovingly, and for his own glory and honor. These plagues teach us that. And finally, today we see a recurring pattern in these chapters, and it will go through 9 and 10 and 11 as well. There's something else. Did you pick it up? on the recurring pattern and wording that came at the end of each plague. At the end of each plague, you can follow it through in your scriptures, 7.13, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he wouldn't listen to them. 7.23, Pharaoh turned and went into the palace and did not even take it to heart. 8.15, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. 8.19, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. 8.32, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart. And you go on and you see 9.7, 9.34, 10.20, 10.27, the same thing. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Have you ever met someone, maybe you live with this person, who is very resolute, 
They're set on things. They're like concrete. It's probably the best way to describe them. What we might term hardness. And that's the idea here that we get with Pharaoh. He had set his will, his, his, his resolute will, solid against the Lord. I suppose I was trying to think of an illustration. If you ever use super glue, right, and it sticks to your fingers, and, and you're there and you're going, this is set. Almost impossible to prize open because it's, it's just set. And that's what it means by hardness here. Pharaoh had set his will, his mind, his heart, resolutely like concrete, like glue against the Lord and his word. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart has two aspects, though, to it. On the one hand, we know from chapter 7, verse 3, that the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will not listen to me. On the other hand, we have the verses that we just showed you, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And there's a combination going on. And that can be, cause us a bit of confusion in understanding, because on the one hand, we may think, Pharaoh's card was actually marked. He'd no other way. God had hardened his heart. How is he supposed to get out of that? And then on the other side, we think, oh, no, no, we, we've choice. Pharaoh's made his own decisions. He made his own bed and he lay in it. And this is hard to resolve. And it's hard to resolve in the narrative of Exodus because the narrative deliberately mixed the two things up. It deliberately tells us God hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it mixes up those combinations. And it does that to show us that, yes, God hardens a heart sometimes, but also there is freedom and human responsibility. We see Pharaoh being hard of heart, but we need to be aware that God knows the human heart. And that is why the following explanation I found helpful in this. It says this, that God recognizes Pharaoh's stubbornness from the outset. And so God's hardening of his resolve, initially in chapter 4, verse 21, is a response to that already existing hardness. Time and time again, God gives Pharaoh the opportunity to recognize who he is and let his people go. There is patience and grace from God, but he refused. He hardened himself. That hardness of heart is linked to not listening to the words of God. One of the reasons Pharaoh was so hard-hearted was that his heart belonged to these other gods. Pharaoh refused to give in to God's will so hardening his heart against the God's word and will. Even the magicians of Egypt recognized at one point the finger of God, yet Pharaoh and they ultimately ignored its implications and hardened themselves to the Lord and his word. And guess what? The pattern continues today. This is what happens when we don't acknowledge the Lord. That's why we sang, we bow down and say you are Lord in this place, in our lives. When we don't acknowledge the Lord as Lord in our lives, we harden. We replace his rightful claim on our lives with our other gods, and we refuse to acknowledge the Lord's will and word for our life. And don't be like Pharaoh, hardened to the word of God. And that's a challenge to both Christian and those who aren't yet Christians. The great hope and grace offered by God is that he can give us a new heart, a new heart that acknowledges his lordship, a heart that desires to follow him. God did it for Lydia, if you were here during the summer. He opened her heart to receive the message. But be warned of a hardening of heart, because what happens is you go too far, and the Lord will bring his judgment down. 
And finally, this morning, you cannot get away from chapter 7 and 8 without acknowledging who the Lord is. All the way through these chapters, it is him triumphantly declaring, I'm Lord. And I love this quote that's from Brown in his commentary. The most obvious truth arising from the history of the plagues is of the immense, irresistible power of the Lord, its total command of every possible resource, and its total sway over every field of life, place, person, and event. This was the Lord who was made in the days of, e who was in the days of Egypt. And you know what? He's still the same Lord today. He doesn't change. He is still the creator Lord who brought these plagues down on Egypt. He is still the great I am. And you know what? As I was preparing this, I was going, is that my view of God? Is this immense, great picture of this sovereign God who knocks out other gods, my, my understanding of the God that I love and worship? That's what Scripture's for, to recreate our thinking, to warm our heart to him so that we'll say, this is my Lord, this is our God, and he's our God for today, and he is the great I am. Let me pray for us. Father God, we this morning confess that we make you so small at times. We think you're irrelevant to the world that we live in. We confess, Father, that we have a small understanding of who you are. And yet, Lord, these passages in Exodus are just showing us your sovereignty, your immense power, your command of every possible resource in life, whether it's place or person or event. Father, would you continually reshape our thinking in who you are? And Father, we pray that you'd help us to take from this passage before us this morning the warning of not hardening our heart to your word and will. Father, we pray that we would take on board that judgment of God, that he deals with sin and idolatry. And Father, thank you that you are the only God, the living and true one. And Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, continue to teach us over these next few weeks about who you are, the great I am. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.